Yeah, I hope so. That's how we'll build those solutions. And it, you're right, there's no playbook. It does take bravery. And, and luckily, there are a number of pioneers who see it and want to help push that forward. But there are definitely operational structures that are hard to break within universities and institutions and corporations. And all those things are part of the one step forward, two step back that innovation takes. <laughs> the Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning. Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones, sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you for joining us. And now, the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder, and I'm here with my co-host today, Mike Jones. Hi, Mike. Hey, Tiffany. So glad to be here. We've been looking forward to this podcast for weeks, going back and forth, like, oh my goodness, can you believe it? Monica Ares agreed to be on our Digital to Learn podcast, our humble podcast. And that's who we're welcoming to the show today. Monica Ares is a leading expert in immersive technology, using it to empower people to learn, connect, and create in ways they never could before. She is deeply committed to using XR technology to increase access to education and fundamentally transform the way we learn. As the former head of immersive learning at Meta and a pioneering leader on interactive learning labs at Amazon, Monica is a visionary and leading figure in the field of immersive education. She is dedicated to developing innovative products, programs, and content to make learning more powerful and accessible. We are thrilled to welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast, Monica Ares. It's great to have you here, Monica. Yeah, thank you so much. It's great to be here. Mike, do you want to go into a little bit about why this topic is important to us and why we're so excited to have Monica with us? Oh, absolutely. So Monica is an immersive learning specialist. However, our current state of address for higher education is what are we going to do with this stuff called immersive learning? What are we going to do with the metaverse? What are we going to do with virtual offices? That type of question is on a lot of people's minds. Now we've got technologies like chat GPT and those types of technologies that are interweaving into learning tools. So there's just so many questions we have in higher ed about how we do this. And Monica is on the leading edge of that, having worked for some big corporations that are looking at these technologies and what they can do. So when I came across her name and saw what she was doing, I thought, man, if we could just have her join us and give us some insight. So that's the history behind it. Yep. We'll get serious here pretty quick, but in normal fashion for digital to learn, we're going to start with some getting to know you questions. So Monica, what's your pump up song, artist, or genre? It's funny. I had to laugh when I saw this because <laughs> for me, I'm like one of those people that doesn't have the favorite book, the favorite song, the favorite movie. I like <laughs> so many of them. And so my playlist is often just the compilation of everything I've ever searched and everything I've ever downloaded. <laughs> it's a riot. And so it's like, guess that tune as it comes on. But I think if I really had a go-to that I just tried and true that I love, it's blues. You know, the oh. playlist I was listening to right before this was like a combination of Muddy Waters and wow. all the different kind of genre that I think it just never gets old for me. There's something yeah. that really just hits me. So I never get sick of the blues. The bright blues, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My dad plays harmonica and he can give you goosebumps when he's playing some blues. It's just <laughs> so good. And it's kind of heartfelt music. You know? Yeah. B.B. King, Sam Myers. There's something about it that, you know, it just kind of hits you. And it works in many different situations, right? It's like whether you're doing work, whether you're going for a walk, out walking to friends. I don't know. There's something about it that I find just hits you a little differently. But for the most part, I am a fan of many, many kinds of music. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. 
So from coffee shop to clothing line, tell us a brand that you love. I mean, for me, I really think it's Lego. I know that sounds very juvenile, but I, you know, they keep evolving and they keep getting more sophisticated and they're leaning into new audiences and constantly staying relevant. And I think their upcoming commitment to constantly combine curiosity and fun faced with sort of hands-on manipulation, they're adding augmented reality onto a lot of the kits that they're doing now. I don't know. I just think they've done a really good job kind of growing and staying relevant and adding that layer of learning and curiosity that so many of us are after. That is awesome. There's a book called The Culture Code, if you've never read it. And they talk about the Lego brand and how it started in Germany and how they were super successful with their manuals. They got to America and couldn't figure out why they weren't selling. It was because in Germany, they'd put the blocks together and put them on a shelf and go buy more blocks. In America, they just tore them back apart and built something else. They didn't yep. even use the instructions. They threw them out. So they had to change their marketing. But it's a fascinating book if you get a chance to read it. Oh, I would love to read that. No, it's it's good. We have a lot of Legos in this house. And the newer <laughs> ones are, are awesome, right? Like the Bugatti, the piano that actually work. And I don't know, There's it's very creative and satisfying. Yeah. I overheard my swim lessons last night, my four-year-old talking to an older girl. And she said, what kinds of things do you have in your room? And the older girl said, I have Legos. And my daughter said, well, do you have anything else in there? Real, yeah, those kinds of questions, right? And the girl said, what more do you need than Legos? And I thought, there, <laughs> see, to my daughter, you don't need much. You can do everything with Legos. So, <laughs> All right, one more. How would you decorate your virtual office similar or different from your home or work office? It'd be very different. I mean, it's virtual, right? Mm -hmm. You can do all sorts of crazy things in there. So I think just aesthetically, it would be, you know, all glass, very bright, lots of sun and plants, endless water view, all the things that calm me and inspire me and make me want to be productive and kind of add that curiosity and connection to nature. But I'd also be able to like push the button and travel anywhere in the world, right? <laughs> Go walk the streets of Venice or maybe play a quick round of boxing if I'm looking for something to energize me a little bit or turn it into the night sky and relax. I mean, I think the cool thing with these virtual spaces is that you can cater them to what you need in the moment to be either the most productive or to relax. Meditation in VR is amazing if you need 10 minutes out during your day. But I think to be able to you know, we know that we've done studies with students that show that the environment that they're in, in a virtual world does impact how well they learn. And I think the same is true of how we work, right? And so a lot of us have been from the pandemic shut in the very same home office that, you know, you kind of, <laughs> you want to feel like you've gone somewhere else. And a couple of times I've done those VR meetings, although not in the perfect dream world, when you yeah. take the headset off, you feel like you've traveled somewhere. And I think it just makes a, a better distinction between your work brain and your home brain. So I would love to figure out what that sort of dynamic, adaptable environment is that you can cater to your need throughout the day. But the initial space would definitely be bright, open, glass, airy with a beautiful view. Mm -hmm. You know, it'd be so neat with your playlist being very dynamic and all over if when the song changed the virtual environment change shifted to match. And we can cool. do that. I mean, with AI, we can eventually be like, I want to be on the beach in Tahiti with, you know, a drink in my hand. And then yeah. like 10 minutes later, you can be like, actually, I want to be standing at the top of the Eiffel Tower. And the whole <laughs> environment will just change match. You yeah. based on your words. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Oh, we have such a big world coming that we're not ready for. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of big worlds, you just got back from Nairobi, Kenya. So how was that trip and what were you doing out there? 
I did. I was there for an event called Nexus, which brings together space experts, education experts, and writers, because sort of this compilation of thinkers is what we need to come together and solve some of the world's biggest problems. So really the foundation, it was interstellar space, kind of supported by 100-year starship. And um, it was a lot of the, you know, if we can solve the problems that we need for resourcing and, you know, sustainability and humanity, as we travel through space, we actually solve a lot of the problems that we need to figure out here on Earth. So this is run by Dr. Mae Jemison. She was the first Black female astronaut in space. And I worked on a project with her way back when we launched at the Smithsonian earlier last year. And what we did was combined the 7,000 archival images of the original moon landing, which, you know, growing up, if you were curious about the moon landing, you saw it in a picture. We all kind of just like remembered it in our head. But by going to the Smithsonian and finding their archive pictures, using photogrammetry and AI, we were able to stitch them together and create a fully immersive 3D environment. So you actually get the same perspective as the astronauts did of the Earth, Moon, and Sun when you're standing there looking at it. And you wow. hear the voiceover from the astronauts. And we asked Dr. Mae Jemison to do the official voiceover. And so the thread that she had throughout was, does this change how we learn? Does this make you feel different? Does this make you see things differently? For me, the answer was 100% yes. People have gone through that experience. You feel it differently in your body. Like my body feels like it has the memory of standing on the moon and seeing how far away that earth is and how small we are and how it's half lit up and where the sun is and the mechanics of it just stick in your brain a little bit better than looking at the picture in the encyclopedia. So she gave me a call a couple months ago and said, hey, I run this event every year. It's usually in the United States. We would like to do it in Nairobi. It's the cradle of humanity. And we'd like to make sure that we're engaging different people throughout the world in some of these discussions. So I agreed to go, brought some headsets so that we could show the audience some of these experiences among others. And then we went to two schools in the area, which is really fun. One of them was on the reserve. So, you know, surrounded by wild animals and the school was set up as tents. They were self-sustaining, so they had solar panels. They had a biofuel system, which I'd never seen before, but it's fascinating. Wow. Manure in one side, it's like this big sort of belly that it goes through and then it spits out two products. One is actual fuel you can use to cook their lunches, almost like we do with a propane tank. So it fueled all their their stoves and the other one was fertilizer for their garden. And so just the way that they sort of, you know, ran and structured their school was was really brilliant and beautiful. And the students loved being able to, you know, they swam with sharks, they got to watch an eagle fly in slow motion and then get on the eagle's back and fly. And there was in one of the national parks with a lot of lakes and these kids don't usually see water to that capacity. They were so excited to see that much water, which again, it reminds you that the world is big and that what we take for granted, it's really special for others. And so for me to be where they were and understand sort of the environment that they have with all the wild animals, we did a safari and just watching animals be so unhurried in life. (laughs) It's just like a really grounding to watch how they naturally live, right? And so I think we all learned a lot from each other, but again, that notion it's an incredible planet and there's so much we can all learn from each other. And these kind of events bring all of that closer. The context too is so rich with immersive learning. I'm thinking about a study that I was just doing in regards to how the Hebrews were not a water people. They didn't live near water. They were desert people. And so a lot of their imagery and the words that they use all have to do with desert and having just enough compared to, say, the Philistines or another people group that lived on and around the water. They were all about the water. So you have a fear of water in the Noah story that wouldn't have been there in a like story. And so the context of 
immersive learning can put you in those spaces and let you experience mm-hmm. cultures like that. It's mind blowing the change that that can make, even yeah. down to as simple as like putting a student teacher into an environment that a child might come out of right before they get to their class. The amount of empathy that's built is immense in an immersive learning environment. So It is. And again, to care about something, you have to go and be there, right? Especially when it comes to nature or cultures or environment. And so when you get to go and feel like you're there in virtual reality, I think it brings together a little bit of that empathy, but then actually going and speaking to people who all have to solve problems in these different places of the planet, you bring them together and the diversity of thought is usually what leads to the best innovation. So it is fun to bridge all those pieces together the way that we can through virtual reality. Oh, so cool. It is so obvious that you have a real passion for this and that you just light up when you talk about it. What's the story behind it all that led you into this place and nurtured that enthusiasm? Yeah, well, it's funny. I have spent most of my career trying to build solutions for learning with new technology in order to increase access to education and also just like fundamentally transform how we learn. And so my main goal has always been to make people curious. And it took me a long time to land on that word. I was like, what is it? What is that adrenaline rush that you get that makes you a lifelong learner? And and calling it curiosity, it might be something entirely different, but <laughs> I was really lucky because in the first job I had, which I was an actuary for Deloitte right out of school, they had a corporate outreach program. And so they used to place professionals in a volunteer program at the local schools in New York City and the public schools. And I really enjoy going in and working with students, but I do remember coming out feeling like, oh, there's not a whole lot of teaching and learning going on. And we went to multiple schools and they all had like these 2D textbooks with very few drawings and there wasn't a lot of engagement. And the way I envision learning being is like, I want that to pop off the page. I want there to be simulations. I want the stories to come to life. And I thought back to when it was that I really kind of got a little bit of that experience and it was back in college when they finally brought technology into the classroom. And so I was a math major. We could model orbits of planets and other things that moved in topographies of landscapes. And it connected to science and nature for me in that moment. And it made it come alive and it just stuck. And so I was like, why aren't we doing this for younger grades? It seems really strange. I felt like there was such an obvious solution and no one was doing it. And so I was like, why don't I just try to be part of that solution? The technology is not fully there, but we have little bits and pieces that we can start with. And so, yeah, I did what made sense to me and, and nobody else. And I quit that beautiful job in the corporate world. I went to graduate school and then I got to teach for 10 awesome years. So first it was math, the middle and high school kids. And I'd spend every night trying to create lessons that were visually rich and engaging and tied the real world to what we were doing. And I often just sort of came up short because I didn't have the tools. I was like, God, I wish I was an engineer and could build better. Right. So <laughs> that was kind of hard. And then I got the chance to work in a planetarium and I was like, oh. I have a whole dome to bring these lessons to life on now. That seems super cool. It was like the precursor to VR, right? To have a planetarium dome above you to play with. It was the very old Spitz star ball though. So like I had a beautiful night sky and that was it. (laughs) Weekends and we would put together paper towel tubes and like, you know, little filters and lights underneath and try to make nebula and galaxies that could float across the dome with the stars and It was one of those really cool experiences where I taught all grades K through 12 in that planetarium. When I first came in, they're like, this planetarium doesn't really have students. Can you help bring it back to life? And so we did. We created all these new fun lessons and worked with partners like the you know, the remote telescope to take images of deep space object and figure out that by looking at nature's repeated patterns, we could understand things that were too far to ever reach. So we just had a lot of fun. You know, my goal was, again, make them curious, but teachers would come in and say, 
you have to do this on a bigger scale. Like you have to reach more students than are just coming in here. And wow. I knew that technology was the answer for scaling these kinds of lessons. So I was lucky enough to get a job at Amazon. They were starting to do sort of their online learning platform. I was there for a couple of years and helped start that immersive learning labs, which again, earlier days, but it's like, let's not just tell students that the interior angles of a triangle are 180 degrees. Let's have them move all the vertices and say they cannot break it, right? And so it's like, what were some of those simulations we could do that were either story-based or manipulation-based that we could help people come to the conclusion of how things work so that it would stick a little better. And then I got an opportunity to go to Facebook and I think it was my second week there. Someone gave me a VR headset to try and- yeah. Uh, <laughs> second I put that on and man this was a very old headset it was gear VR you slap a phone on your face um, <laughs> it got it would like overheat there was no controller <laughs> quality was so bad everybody would just get really sick in there but I was like this is it this is the medium I've always wanted to build the kind of lessons so luckily Facebook's an awesome space where if you kind of run for it you can work with other teams and, and do a whole bunch of things so I was able to sit with that team on the content side. And we made all the first experiences and tons of surprises, right? It was like, we know exploration works. We had no idea that empathy building would work. And we started building experiences and it was sort of this like delightful surprise. And so that was really fun. I also wanted to make sure people could also make these experiences because obviously they're going to be a lot of jobs in AR and VR very soon. And so helped just, you know, train people on how to use our Spark AR tools so that they could become creators and developers and figured out, you know, access is so important in education. And it's often the last thing that we think about. So just getting out refurbished headsets to educational institutions and nonprofits and all of that combined ended up coming together to, you know, help us build an immersive learning ecosystem so that we could figure out what learning in the metaverse would look like. So lots of pieces to still put together and and have come to life. But as far as really trying to understand the pieces that I think we need to focus on to truly transform learning, we're getting there. I think we're a couple steps in now. So it's very exciting. In the pre-show, I had written down that you mentioned bits of it are there, but it's not you know, where it needs to be in relation to VR and XR and what you'd like to see in the education space. And then it was interesting because when you were talking about your journey and you go all the way back to the grad school kind of time, I think you described even then that, you know, bits were there, but it wasn't all together. And it just seems to be this common thread of you recognizing that there's these little pieces floating around, but you can't help but insert yourself there and help find that solution. So it's just very inspiring to hear your courage and recognition of little particles that are moving around and you're going to go in there and bring them together. Yeah, I hope so. That's how we'll build those solutions. And you're right. There's no playbook. It does take bravery. (laughs) And luckily there are a number of pioneers who see it and want to help push that forward. But there are definitely operational structures that are hard to break within universities and institutions and corporations. And all those things are part of the one step forward, two step back that innovation takes. We don't know anything about that. <laughs> yeah, no, no. That's a whole nother well, podcast we should have. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, hey, folks, we're going to stop here, but we'll be back next week on the Digital to Learn podcast. In the meantime, check out our website, digitaltolearn.com with numerical two to see resources associated with the show. We'll see you next week again with Monica Arez. See you then. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.